America and to all of our listeners all over the world. You're listening to another exciting edition of Let's Weekend. I'm your host, Brandon Perkins. Joining me as always is Chris Selagy and Patrick Mifflin. Say hi, guys. Oh. Hello. Yeah, so uh, this week's episode is going to be for February 11th, 2023. Before I even start, just want to say thank you all for the happy birthday wishes. Uh, I turned 37 earlier this week, and... Well, I'm now a couple years just shy of 40, but if Patrick's anything to go by, that's not really too much of a bad thing. Um, But then again, I've also heard it said that 40 is the new 30, which technically means I'm still in my 20s. So, you know. I mean, things are noticeably breaking down, so I can't say too much, but... Yeah, I'm getting gray hair now. I'm starting to see it. I was doing that in my late 20s, but that had more to do with me being a safety lead at Walmart around that time. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, pretty sure that that's the kind of thing where you would probably lose all of your hair by the time you're 30. So, yeah. Um, I dodged that grenade. Yeah. Um, But anyway, so this week, what will we be discussing? Well, uh, President Biden had his State of the annual State of the Union address this week, and uh, it was eventful and might very well be probably the best speech he's given in his career, Um, which is saying a lot considering it's Joseph Biden and he's about as charismatic as a wet dish rack (laughs) and about as attentive and awake as one, but... He actually kind of nailed it this this week. Um, But, uh, yeah, that happened. But there were some other stuff that happened as well. There was an earthquake that happened uh, on the border of Turkey and Syria that has caused a lot of deaths and a lot of damage. And, frankly, it seems to come off like neither one of those countries' governments seems to give a shit about those people. Um, We'll be getting to that. Um, We also uh, had a train derailment that ended up causing a a release of hazardous materials in Ohio, and we're going to be talking about the aftermath of all that, because uh, there is a bunch of bullshit involved in that that we'll be talking about. Um, also, uh, Florida is very slowly turning into a totalitarian state, but it's at least one little branch of it is not going to be going forward, at least for now. Um, and, uh, oh, yeah, we got a bunch of sports stuff as well and a bunch of entertainment and all that and more on this week's episode of Let's Weekend because, uh, yeah, we got some things to talk about. But before we do any of that, as always, we need to discuss all the stuff we've been doing up to this point. So, as always, traditionally, we start with Chris. Chris, what have you been doing this week? I've uh, been dealing with the weather. Yeah. Which has been just... Going back and forth, we had a day in the 60s, uh, and then goes back down to the 40s, and all that kind of fun. Uh, mm-hmm. A little bit of rain there, here and there, not too much, so we're a bit lucky on that front. Mm. Uh, but yeah, for things I've been watching, I've uh, been watching Trigon, the original mm-hmm. Trigon. Uh, Trigon? Yeah, the, the, new sh- the new show is out. Yeah. Um, so I wanted to watch the original because I had watched it on Adult Swim and all that, and that I do not have a clear picture of like what that show was at that time. Uh, mm. Just catching random episodes 
makes it hard to follow the plot. Yeah. Uh, for that, so I ended up kind of going my way through it here, watching it on Hulu, mm-hmm. uh, the dub version. And first thing that stuck out to me is that the I don't think I like the intro song. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's got neat like guitar bits in there, but mm-hmm. a lot of it just being a dude yelling loudly <laughs> uh, just kind of doesn't hold up very well. Mm. Uh, especially when the the outro song is really well done. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, watching it through, I still like the show a lot. I think there's definitely some some weird pacing to it, mm-hmm. uh, where for like half the show, at least, it's a lot of just uh, here's the new weird situation that Vash gets into, and how does he manage to get himself out of it? Uh, mm-hmm. You know that kind of thing. That. Mm-hmm. Um, Eventually goes by the wayside as, you know, they start dipping into his past and all the stuff on the the ship uh, that was orbiting around this planet, which is not Earth. It's a desert planet that I guess humans tried to colonize at some point. Yep. And then that all went poorly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they talk about like, oh, the the precursor humans, I guess set up these like big plants to help try to make life habitable, but then they stop working. Mm. They don't really go into that stuff as much as I would have liked. Uh, you get uh, at least a nice episode on the, on the ship with Vash and knives and sort of mm-hmm. how they come to be on the surface. And then, and then the, the way that things are framed as far as like how long that's been, because uh, they don't seem to age. Uh, knives and bash though they're shown as kids in mm. that in that sequence so it's like they do age somewhat but they talk about you know having been on this planet for like 130 years something like that mm-hmm. so it's like a lot of weird lore that would be nice if they had maybe not try to jam it into like one or two episodes mm-hmm. there towards the the latter half of the show uh, but at least understand more about What's going on here? The uh, a lot of the the bad guys that got sent after Vash are were sent by knives, I guess. Yeah. So, but the nature of like what they are still isn't that clear. Um, so yeah, finished that, enjoyed it. Um, then started watching Trigon Stampede. That is the the new show where. Uh, it starts, it's six episodes right now. I've watched four of them. Um, it looks fantastic. Mm. Uh, CG show and all that. So they do make good use of uh, the extra bit of stuff. That was mm. definitely something that, you know, Trigon is an older show. Definitely mm. looks like it. Uh, especially when they try to do like motion amongst characters. Mm. Uh, you can see a lot of flickering uh, with people's, you know, outlines, all that kind of stuff. Uh, whereas here, they they start at the the uh, evacuation of uh, Vash and Knives mm-hmm. uh, off the ship as it's blowing up. Though they don't seem to suggest, like in the original show, that like some people survive mm-hmm. and sort of make their way to the planet side. Um, because yeah, in the, the original show, they there's like at least one 
habitable ship of sorts. It's not in great shape, but it's still functioning uh, for the most part that Vash visits every once in a while. Mm -hmm. Uh, But then, you know, the last time he visits, catastrophe happens, so... Um, but this one, they start off in one of the towns. I think the the July thing has happened already. Uh, as mm-hmm. they get to the the modern day, he's grown up a bit. I think in early twenties, something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's in his town, and his his bounty is much less. It's six million double dollars mm-hmm. versus sixty billion. I mean, that's just more of a scale thing. Yeah, because uh, she had no real concept of what that means in their money. I uh, thought it meant a lot enough that people tried to kill him constantly. Uh, so, but uh, yeah, they get to this town uh, that he has helped out so that people are generally friendly. Uh, but then things just start going wrong as, you know, police show up to try to take him and they have some wild ass plan to mm-hmm. like destroy the town if he doesn't go with them kind of thing. And then they introduce uh, the Nebraska family, though instead of the, uh, the son being like a giant dude, a giant like robot dude, he's more just a, you know, a big dude, taller dude, not, you know, the, the grandpa, the, the, the father, the scientist dude is just kind of a short dude. And the other guy, the, the son is sort of just a much bigger uh, dude, so not really like a giant, and I haven't seen like the the other family that shows up later, mm-hmm. where the mom is also a giant, and the the sister sort of hangs out on her. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, they're trying to uh, take Vash to get the bounty, and then they realize that there's this plant that has some valuable stuff. They don't really explain what is valuable about them, but they get foiled by Vash. Mm-hmm. And sort of, then these weird things happen. Um, these weird like creatures start grabbing onto people, and it's another another dude that comes after Vash in the town. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then sets up for Knives to show up, uh, who has the nickname of Million Knives uh, because he has some weird suit thing going on that causes the these like. Uh, protruding like almost like tentacles of knives to shoot out and uh, cut people up and all that kind of stuff. A lot more bloody than the way he's portrayed in the the original show, mm. where he just kind of shows up at the end. It's just like uh, he's also blonde, but like a lighter blonde than Bash's hair kind of thing. But he has like this whole weird suit and just starts cutting people up, um, and sort of makes away with these these things in the plant that are supposedly very valuable mm-hmm. and in the process decimates the whole town. So that kind of sets Vash off onto new adventures, but uh, along the way um, or before he even gets to that town, uh, Meryl f- runs into him. She is a, a like rookie journalist mm-hmm. uh, working with this dude named Robert Roberto. Uh, and they sort of happen upon him being like strung up in the desert and sort of take him to the town and all that. And they kind of tag along much like the, like she does with Millie in the, the original show. Mm-hmm. But yeah, they go through 
things so far. I'm still fairly early in this four episodes, so looking forward to seeing more of that. But that's it's a really cool show. Mm. Kind of dives into a lot of the same kind of story points, but takes it at a different angle. All mm. that, uh, though, obviously, I haven't seen how much they lean into some of the original stuff. Uh, but they definitely have some of the characters and all that. And Nicholas D. Wolfwood has shown up mm-hmm. uh, with his own whole thing. But he's not a priest. He's a undertaker, mm-hmm. which makes more sense for yeah, uh, him being a dude that can kill a bunch of people as mm-hmm. a priest. Uh, the least he has a nice little story arc in the original show where he's talking about how he uh, has never really prayed, but somehow as a priest. Mm. Um, but like at the end, it's like coming to terms with like his his sins mm. and all that, and sort of offers himself up to Vash to help him complete his ultimate goal. Mm. But yeah, that was a that's a cool show. Um, as for games, I've been playing more Trigger Witch, Trigger Witch, mm-hmm. uh, the Link to the Past style game, but with guns. And so I've made it to the 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 northern part of the map uh, through the, the big magic bar- barrier that separated the the sort of witch land and the, the goblin land mm-hmm. uh, to which I realized uh, from the way they're framing the story this is a story about gun culture in the US mm. um, and the, the northern land is Canada mm. uh, where your witch gets up there and is talking about you know going to their sacred ruins and all this and they're like you know, we don't want your kind with your guns all over the place. Like we have them too, but we don't. We're not so cavalier with them as you guys are. Yeah. I was like, oh, okay, I see what this is all about. <laughs> uh, especially because they have a different font than the 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 witches do. Yeah, uh, and so you're very cavalier. Like, ah, oh, just just tell me where where the this bad guy is. You know, it's like, well, what makes them bad? You know she can't answer that, and so they arrest the the witch and put her through an arena to fight a bunch of enemies. Mm-hmm. Uh, then she gets sprung out of jail and is able to just like wander around the town that she's supposedly still supposed to be arrested in mm-hmm. uh, freely. Is that's where the game part just kind of uh, takes a backseat to the or the, the story takes a backseat to the the gameplay part of it. Um. We are kind of going through, I think, two, three dungeons there up at the top part. I've done one of those, so looking forward to put more time into that, but been enjoying that a lot, uh, working my way through all the the trophies, too, which are not too difficult. Mm. A lot of ones that do require you to do some interesting things. Um, one was like empty the clip of your Uzis uh, without missing an enemy, and that was tough because I had already upgraded the clip but they let you kind of reset that at any time. Uh, so I could get it back to a more reasonable number to get through uh, that kind of stuff. There's one for like killing a bunch of enemies without the laser sights on. And one that was in turning off the, the gore mode, which I was confused by because I didn't see any options for that. And I realized that's what pinata mode is. It just causes whenever you kill enemies, instead of blood, it spews a bunch of confetti looking stuff all over the mm. place. So yeah, that's been uh, the game I've been putting time into. And the other one, Rocket League, still mm-hmm. working on that. Uh, they just put some NFL stuff on the shop since it's Super Bowl weekend. 
Yeah. Uh, but otherwise, still playing it and enjoying it. So that's been pretty much it for me. How about you, Brandon? Well, it's Pat next, but oh, yeah. Pat. <laughs> Pat, go ahead. Um, Steam Deck stuff. I finally got my hands on a one terabyte SD card because they had a flash sale on uh, Amazon. Mm. Which means I finally got Final Fantasy XIV working on a portable. Nice. And, my God, if you ever wanted to find a way to weaponize that game, that's the way to do it. Mm. Because now I can be uh, going around, like, gathering uh, whenever I'm doing other stuff, like video editing or whatever. Um, Like, I can just constantly be in some mode of productivity. Mm. And that's going to absolutely dominate my time. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's a thing that happened. Um, speaking of video editing, I've been doing a lot of YouTube stuff this week. I took almost two weeks off because of sheer creative block. Mm-hmm. And I guess I've um, I guess I've just been making up for it ever since. I've dropped a couple top ten lists. I dropped some sound off videos. Um, it's been keeping generally busy. I guess I should thank Nintendo for giving me so much material to work with this week because it was a good direct and yet I feel like the backlash to the $70 price point on Tears of the Kingdom is justified and that's been a pretty good topic of discussion on my channel. So um, I should probably get around to actually going over the direct itself, but yeah, we'll see what I do next. I've got I've got a few ideas to work with. And speaking of Nintendo, um, my Switch library just continues swelling up. I'm probably going to hit 70 games by the end of the month. So, yeah, um, I found a limited run um, Double Dragon Four for thirty dollars. Mm. So that's going to be joining my library soon. I've got Metroid Prime coming on the 22nd, Octopath Traveler 2. Um, I just got Atari Flashback Classics because it has a lot of 2600 and 5200 games that weren't in Atari 50. Mm. So, yeah, I'm, um, I'm... I used to ask the question of whether I... whether the Switch was an 8th gen or a 9th gen system. And I'm starting to think that its true identity is non-generational. Like, it's just a system where games of all generations are starting to gather. Hmm. And I think that's extremely cool. So, that's what I've been up to. All right, well, as for me, um, I have beaten Persona 4 Go. Well, let me make that clear. I've beaten the base of Persona 4 Golden. Um, much like Persona 5 Royal, uh, Persona 5, 4 Golden actually has like an ex- a new sort of true, true ending to it that involves like another uh, boss character and another final boss and another level and everything. And I got to go. So I finished the base game, but now I got to go back and, you know, redo what I need to so I can try and get that second part of it done because uh, I want to see that part um, but yeah Persona 4 Golden I finally managed to finish Persona 4 actually which unfortunately was something I didn't get to do back in the day because the copy I had when I had it was uh, defective um, 
But yeah, that uh, that game is still holds up really well uh, in spite of, you know, obviously being a remaster of a PS2 game. Um, but yeah, so since I finished that, I decided I would go ahead and play essentially uh, a game. One of the reasons I wanted to get a PS5 in the first place, which was uh, Ratchet and Clank Rift Apart, which I finally got to play. Um, and I... 100% already just recommend it because it is just it's probably the first um, PS5 game I've played so far that absolutely utilizes just all the graphical capabilities of that system because it is visually astonishing how gorgeous that game is um, people make the Pixar comparison a lot and this time it's absolutely uh, makes sense because it really does feel like you're playing a Pixar movie, wow. but not in the way that it's like overly as much of a you know a, a spectacle. Like you're actively involved in it, and it's legitimately challenging at times. Like it's you know the Ratchet and Clank games, you know they're not necessarily the easiest games in the world, but despite the cartoony exterior, they can be surprisingly challenging at times, and. uh this is definitely an example of that. Um, but I have that game, but it's sitting, it's right next to me, but it's still in shrink wrap. Yeah, so. uh, it's le- it's legit gorgeous. It's it's a it's a fantastic game, a lot of fun. Um, and I might I've, have to open it up pretty soon. Yeah, I've just I've been enjoying the hell out of it, and um, yeah. So uh, that as far as gaming is concerned, that's pretty much what I've been doing. Um, as for books and reading, you know, still, I, I'm always reading. Everybody knows I'm always reading. It's like the one other thing I do more than anything else. And um, been uh, reading a lot of interesting stuff. Uh, specifically, uh, I got two books in the mail recently from an author I've always wanted to read. Um, and now I'm finally getting the chance to read him. And I will tell you who it is when we get to the next segment because he is specifically the subject of it, but we'll be getting to that. And uh, other than that, uh, just, you know, music, obviously. Um, I have come to realize that I really, really like Black Veil Brides, even though I am far outside of what should be considered their target demographic, because um, it's funny. They make good music, and they're a great band, but they also have a very solid amount of people who absolutely despise them and everything they stand for. Um, and then I realized, holy shit, they're basically an American visual K band, basically. Um, but yeah, their stuff is great. Um, also been listening to Unlucky Morpheus a lot, which is just good shit all around. Um, oh, you don't know Unlucky Morpheus is. They originally started out as like a Toho cover band. Um, that was like covering Toho music. And then they sort of became like a legit band and they've been putting out some pretty amazing stuff recently. Um, they do, you know, like obviously they do their like original Japanese heavy metal stuff. Um, but what's also cool is that like a core of the band because because they're they're more of like a collective than a than like a band since you know they're a dojin music group so they all have like different cells or whatever 
Um, and one of the things they do is that they will, on top of doing like original music, they do still do covers, but they do like covers of like, um, like shred metal instrumentals, like Eve Malmsteen, you know, or Racer X or stuff like that, or Steve Vai. And, uh, most of it is actually done by their violinist because yeah, they have a violinist in the band and, it's legitimately amazing to watch because uh, their violinist is a straight-up virtuoso. Um, and the violin is not an easy instrument to play. Um, but, yeah, it's, uh, it's amazing shit. So, yeah, that's uh, that's what I've been doing. So are we uh, – anybody want to add anything before we move on? A sick SNK sale going on over on Steam right now. It's yes, it is. Out. Um they got Garo, Mark of the Wolves, and a bunch of other stuff. Samurai Showdown Neo Geo Collection for ten bucks. Mm-hmm. And uh, also the most recent Samurai Showdown as well. So, but um, with all the DLC for like twenty-two bucks. Yep. Which is sick. <laughs> oh yeah. All right then. With that out of the way, it's now time to to move on to everybody's favorite part of the show: Brandon's random factoid. And today, I want to discuss. Well, I already kind of ruined it at the top of the show, but it's an author. An author whose work I've come to really enjoy and whose work you may not have heard of or you may not have actually gotten the chance to read at some point. But if you're a fan of anime or just Japanese pop culture in general or video games, you have almost certainly, like it is almost impossible that you have not come into contact with something that has been inspired by this man's work. Specifically, one particular book he published that, unfortunately, he did not live to get published in his lifetime, but it is now considered an absolute classic. He was a very unusual gentleman who had a lot of different talents and was, by all accounts, a fairly eccentric individual. And unfortunately, he did not get the type of recognition that he gets now during his lifetime. But... These days, he is considered one of the classic writers of Japanese literature. His name was Kinji Miyazawa. And you have almost certainly come into contact with something influenced by him. So, who was Kinji Miyazawa? Well, Kinji Miyazawa, like I said, was a man of many talents and interests. He was born in... Hold on just a second. He was born... In, in Iwate, Japan, in the, uh, in the town of Hanamake in 1896. Uh, he was born into sort of the tail end of the Meiji era and into the beginning of what would become the late Taisho and the early Showa periods. And that actually kind of intersects into his life story, and I'll tell you why. But... um. Miyazawa was born into a son, into a family that was headed by uh, a patriarch named Masajiro, who was a pawnbroker. Now, the family were followers of the Pure Land sect of Buddhism, um, which is which you know is uh, it's kind of not it's not really important to talk about. What is important to talk about is that when uh, Miyazawa was young. He came across the works of Nichiron, which, if you don't know who Nichiron was, Nichiron was 
uh, was the founder of what's called Nichiren Buddhism, um, which is like the major sect of Buddhism in Japan and in Japanese culture. Um, part of what made it unusual, and Miyazawa himself became extremely enamored with Nichiren Buddhism, and this would end up causing a rift in his family because he had a problem with the way that his family was making its wealth through pawnbroking, which he thought was exploiting the, exploiting the poor and the downtrodden. Um, so eventually he would go out and decide to get his own job and make his own way. So he was, a, he, what he ended up doing was he ended up becoming a teacher uh, for elementary school students. Um, and he also uh, took up a job for agricultural science at uh, ag agricultural science at the Hanamaki Agricultural High School. Now, keep in mind this: if you anybody who knows anything about Japan knows that a good chunk for the longest time of their country was agrarian in nature, which means that especially out in the countryside, a lot of these schools would be specifically. Um, you know, sort of aimed at teaching, you know, farmers and agriculture and stuff like that. Well, see, M Miyazawa was known for two things. He took up, uh, specifically his subject that he taught was geology. Um, he was very much involved in the science of geology and, you know, the science of rocks and how the earth was formed and stuff like that. And he was very unusual compared to a lot of his fellow teachers because, for one thing, he was known for uh, not being particularly good at being on time. But he was usually able to hide this because uh, he would, uh, well, to be quite frank, he would just climb in through the classroom window that was next to his classroom so he could, so he could you know, teach his students without, you know, the principal finding out that he was gone. But he would also do this thing where he would say, you know what, this is, uh, you know, reading all these books is fine and everything, but you're going to want to get some firsthand experience. So he would uh, actually go out of his classroom with his students so that they would go out, you know, not just for agricultural training, but then he would also, like, go down to the riverside and teach them and show them the various kinds of rocks, stuff like that. And he was really recognizable in his town because whenever he was taking his students out, he would usually lead about them, skipping along, going, ahoo, ahoo, the whole time. And no, I'm not making any of this up because they actually interviewed some of his students years later, and this is the exact same story that they gave uh, when they were interviewed. Um, but the other thing that he had that he really... Um, concerned with, of course, was because he lived in an agricultural part of Japan, part of the problem is that far, a lot of farmers in this part of the country were poor because their crop yields just were not really a, enough that you could really support a real decent lifestyle on. So he started, he founded uh, an organization called the Rasu Farmers Association, and he took his uh, interest into things like you know, you know, geology and botany, and then he used it so that he could find a way uh, to help his far the farmers increase their crop yields. Yields. Um, um, it was also sort of a cultural society, and he would do things 
uh, like, you know, put on literary readings, plays, classical music concerts. Um, Miyazawa himself actually played the cello and was apparently pretty, fairly competent at it. He, of course, in his self-effacing way would say he wasn't very good, but the people who saw him said he actually was pretty good. Um, but unfortunately, that particular uh, organization only lasted a few years because this was 19, it would then be 1928 when militarism would start to slowly sink into J Japanese society. And unfortunately, you know, for a utopian like Miyazawa, these kinds of things just could not be tolerated. And the thing was, he also had issues with, you know, some of the farmers that were there because he was from originally born into a fairly, you know, wealthy uh, thing. So a lot of people, when he came into it, you know, were there, they were thinking, you know, what's this rich boy trying to play farm, farmer, you know? And, uh, you know, they would, unfortunately, they were all stubborn. He would say, you know, if you want to use fertilizers, use natural fertilizers, you know, some organic stuff. Um, you know, it, it'll, uh, you know, it'll help your crop yields. You know, the chemical stuff is fine, but it can also harm it. And they would say, oh, it was this, this rich boy talking about, and then they would do it and it would fail. And then they would say they would blame him for it, even though he said, no, you should use natural fertilizers. Um, unfortunately, the other issue is, you know, this is Japanese society. And the thing about Japanese families is no matter how much you may d detest your family members, it's socially expected that you will support them financially in some way. And so in spite of the fact that he had a lot of issues with his father and how his father did business and gained his wealth, he was still getting financial support from his father. So it came off as, you know, just it just kind of was something that it did. It, it, it made him look kind of like a hypocrite, basically. Also, it didn't help the fact that a lot of these farmers were also part of the Pure Land sect, whereas, you know, again, he was in the... He was part of the Lotus, the Lotus sect, which the Nichiran was formed from. Uh, but um, then in 1926, he started learning Esperanto and all this other stuff. But basically, all this stuff is sort of preceding the stuff that would come later, which was he would start writing. And he was a fairly prolific author. First and foremost, he always considered, considered himself a poet. And he considered all of his other stuff to be sort of either a spinoff of poetry or something that was, you know, not lesser than his poems. And a lot of his poems are actually still really popular and still relatively uh, taught a lot in schools in Japan today. Um, unfortunately, he didn't really get much, uh, you know, like uh, he didn't really get any kind of attention for his poetry when he was alive, even though, you know, some people who did get it were like, yeah, this guy's really good. We should, you know, you should read and spread it. But unfortunately, that didn't happen. Um, he fell ill in 1928 and he developed acute pneumonia. Um, uh, and he struggled for many years with pleurisy and uh, which would incapacitate him for months at a time. Uh, he then caught pneumonia again in 1931. And then in 1983, he thought, oh, my health's enough. I'll go and watch a local Shinto procession. And uh, he talked with some uh, local farmers about fertilizer. And then the following day, he passed away. Um, because, unfortunately, he was not as well as he had thought. Um, on his deathbed, when his father was there to try and reconcile, he asked his father if he could 
print 1,000 copies of the Lotus Sutra that could be distributed. Um, and uh, which we don't know if that's what actually happened. Um, eventually, his family actually, like his, you know, his family would actually con con convert to Nichiren Buddhism in 1951. And they would eventually move his his uh, ashes to the Nichiren Temple in Shin, the which is called Shinshoji. Um, in his, in fact, in his district, he's known as Kinji Bosatsu because they thought he was a, you know, because they thought he might have been a Bahitsatva or you know something like that. Okay, so all of this stuff, you're like, okay, you're hearing all this stuff. So where does the you know the the stories and stuff come in? Okay, well. One of the things, like I said, he was a poet. He wrote lots of poetry. But he also was a fairly prolific author of children's stories. Um, some of these children's stories you might have heard of. Uh, the Life of Gus Gobatori, um, Ghosh the Cellist, which became the information, which is, uh, you know, took his sort of experience with uh, his, his uh, playing of the cello, um, which uh, is about, you know, a cellist who goes out into the forest to gain insights with music by talking to animals and stuff. Uh, he also wrote uh, The Night of Tani Yamagahara, which uh, was uh, turned into an anime film by Studio Ghibli uh, back in, I'm not sure, I think it was in 2006. Um, but he wrote one book that unfortunately... It was a novel-length book. He never quite finished it, but it doesn't really have to be because it ends basically on the perfect way. Um, and uh, it unfortunately was not uh, published in his lifetime. It was found among his notes as he died and was not... Actually wasn't published until I think it was... Uh, let's see, I think it was 1934. Yeah, so it was like the year after he died. Um it's called Ginga Detsudo no Yoru, or as it's known here in the U.S., Night on the Galactic Railroad. Yes, it's about a boy named Giovanni, whose father is away on a long fishing trip while his mother is sick at home. So he has to take a bunch of paid jobs before and after school. Um, and then while his teacher is teaching him about the galaxy, he asks his teacher what the Milky Way is made of. Uh... He knows it's made of stars, but isn't able to say so. And so a friend of his named Campanella does the same to save Giovanni from further teasing by the rest of the class. This eventually all re resorts into a magical journey in which they get on a magical train that flies out onto the galaxy and lets them visit the various planets of the solar system. Quick question. Have any of you guys ever watched Galaxy Express 999? Yes. Now you know where Matsumoto got the idea from. That is awesome. Or hell, there's other things too. You guys played Super Mario Sunshine, right? Begrudgingly, yes. Do you remember the parts of the game where your flood taken away and you'd have to go through these 3D geometric places that are sort of hovering around in the air? Vaguely. Do you remember the ones that took place in the things where there was a bunch of stars in the background with what looked like sketchy railroad tracks in the background? Not right offhand, but if you looked really I see close, where you're going. And if you looked really closely, you would occasionally see a steam train that looked like it was drawn by a child going across those tracks. Yeah, you, you've lost me. Uh, 
Uh, let's see what else. Uh, oh man, there's a bunch of references to this, and just about a ton of shit. I mentioned, of course, uh, Galaxy Express nine nine nine. Let's see what else. Uh, and Captain Harlock was part of that. Well, yeah, collective. Um, let's see. There were references to Dora Amon that showed up. Um, there's uh, references in Dot Hat and Dot Hack. Uh, there's uh, Yakitate Japan has a mention of manga Aria. Uh, Ikaro Yutada's album Heart Station actually contains a song which talks about it. Uh, yeah, there's just there's a bunch of references to it in just everywhere in Japanese culture. Um, and then, of course, the book itself was actually made into an animated film in, uh, where in 1985, where it was, uh, they did a thing that essentially was something probably Miyazawa himself, which has done was, was make all of the characters cats because Miyazawa often compare humans to cats in his work a lot. <laughs> And uh, it is as it's very uh, whimsical and also extremely heartbreaking because the reason the book was written is Miyazawa himself was mourning the death of his little sister and he was uh, riding on a train back from the funeral when he was uh, when he came up with the story. So the story has a lot to do with, you know, loss and accepting it. But uh yeah, that was Kenji Miyazawa. He's an example of a person who, you know, did not get a lot of recognition in his lifetime. But these days, it is impossible not to see uh, his his uh, influence in popular culture um, because it is everywhere. And that has been yet another installment of Brandon's Random Factoid. By the way, the two books I got for him, uh, one of them is called Once and Forever, which collects all of his short stories, and the other is called Night on the Galactic Railroad, which uh, is the novel and also contains uh, two additional short stories that take place in the sort of melu that that particular story takes place in. Um, but yeah, so with that out of the way, it is now time to move on to the show proper. And as always with the show proper, we start off with our assholes. And our first assholes of the week are uh, the railroad asshole company who allowed a train carrying a bunch of hazardous materials to get derailed in East Palestine, Ohio, that ended up burning for many days and was finally blown up with controlled demolitions to minify its effect on the town. Yeah, uh, the railway unions were telling the higher ups, like, guys, there's some regulations that need to be put in here that would not this. So this might be an issue. It needs to happen. And, uh, yeah, well, look what happened. Yeah. And this carried uh, a toxic chemical called vinyl chloride. Yep. And, yeah, derailed uh, near a village of 5,000 people near the Pennsylvania border, also near the Ohio River, the, mm. the start of the Ohio River, which you know goes into the Mississippi River mm. uh, and all that. And it seems like... Uh, even with their demolition to uh, minimize the damage that seems like this has uh, not been contained in any way. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cause it seems like there are uh, potentially uh, fish dying in the river nearby uh, animals yeah. getting sick and dying nearby. And it's sort of like, well, 
this seems fucked. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll just see if that gets uh, looked at in a way, but this is a story that's not getting any burn anywhere. Mm-hmm. It seems like, uh, especially because the, the railroad company, let's see, Norfolk Southern, mm-hmm. uh, was very much one of those companies that, uh, you know, tried to get away with as much as they could. Yep. Uh, it seems like their offer of like a settlement for uh, the town was like $25,000, which is like, mm-hmm. so you're going to give like $5,000 or $5 a person mm-hmm. here. It's like, that's nothing for a yeah. company that's made billions last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, the, yeah, there is a, a lawsuit uh, from a local couple and a business owner yeah. against Norfolk Southern Railroad, accusing the company of negligence, uh, accused the company of failing to maintain its tracks and equipment, as well as failing to reasonably warn the general public. Uh, yeah, because they got to, they were forced to evacuate for a few days and then were told it was safe once they detonated this thing. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it just seems like um, maybe not the greatest uh situation to be doing with here yeah absolutely um just and then it gets worse because apparently cops arrested a reporter covering a news conference about the derailment while this was all happening yeah also had a national or national guard official pushing him around too Uh uh-huh uh so yeah the body camera footage uh came out with this Mm-hmm. whole thing and definitely does not put any of them in good light mm-hmm. and this uh yeah this guy worked with news nation yeah uh yeah yeah was arrested after the reporter was told to stop delivering a live report during the governor's remarks mm-hmm. yeah arrested wednesday evening by police officers and detained in the county jail on preliminary charges of criminal trespassing and resisting arrest Mm-hmm. Uh, was later uh, released later that night after posting bond. Uh, yeah, I, be- I believe Governor DeWine is going to sort of tell him to drop those charges. Yeah. As well, because this dude was there to cover the thing that they're there for. That's what a news yeah. conference is for. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, definitely does not add to the uh, all the shit show stuff that's going yeah. on around this whole thing. Yeah. Yeah, uh, this is what happens when, one, you have a good chunk of our uh, infrastructure under private control, and two, when said infrastructure is allowed to just languish and rot for years on end without anybody actually doing anything about it. Yeah, uh, and then our last asshole of the week is Brett Favre, who has filed defamation lawsuits against a number of sports media members, uh, because for those you who don't know, he's currently caught up in a uh, a bit of a, a bit of a scam. Yeah, the I guess what is turning into the biggest welfare fraud case in Mississippi's history. Yeah, I noticed it's not any of the. Uh, suspects that both the media and the Republicans like to aim it as. Yeah. Uh, Bia is filing defamation lawsuits against sports commentators Shannon Sharp and Pat McAfee. 
Mm-hmm. I believe Pat McAfee has talked on his show about mm-hmm. this saying, basically, like, bring it on. Mm-hmm. Uh, the suit claims that Sharp called Favre a sorry mofo to steal from the lowest of the low. Mm-hmm. And that Favre stole money from people that really needed that money. Mm-hmm. I was like, I don't, know, I don't see anything there that's wrong. Yeah. Uh, if you're getting welfare funds, that is money that is supposed to go for the people that need it. Mm-hmm. Actually, I imagine this is probably not going to go super well for him, and it's just going to make it easier for people to find out about this thing. Mm-hmm. This whole thing that's going on. It's the Streisand effect there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, when you're open, when you have to do like defamation. Isn't this one of those things where, like, if you're going to open up uh, lawsuits for, like, defamation, you have to let Discovery, like, go through a bunch of stuff? I'm not sure. Um, But, yeah, overall, it's not going to go well for him at all. (laughs) Um, Now for our Hero of the Week. Um, We mentioned at the top of the hour that uh, President Biden gave his State of the Union address. Uh, this week. Uh, but one of the things he did is he managed to basically play the GOP like a fiddle, and he got them to publicly pledge to not cut Medicare and Social Security during the State of the Union address. Yeah. <laughs> uh, basically talked about uh, yeah, saying some Republicans, uh, some Republicans want Medicare and Social Security to sunset. Uh, and yeah, that's, uh, I'm not saying it's the majority of Congress doesn't keep the programs where they are, uh, where they are, they will go well. The Republicans say, I'm not saying there's a majority view. Mm. I don't even think it's significant uh, though. Even he, you know, framed this properly. Uh, a number of Republicans started getting mad, booing him. Mm. Uh, Marjorie Taylor green yelled out liar. Like she was on, yeah. she was in the crowd for an episode of the Springer show. Yeah, and I remember there's that 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 footage of Senator Mike Lee like giving that really over the top incredulous look on his face, like "What is this guy talking about?" And then, of course, if you look on social media, it's usually paired with video footage of him saying word for word, "I want to cut Social Security." <laughs> yeah, yeah, and you know he saw that response, like, "All right, that I guess that's agreed. We'll we'll not be touching it." Yeah. Yeah. So, folks, as we all apparently agree, Social Security and Medicare are off the books now, right? Mm-hmm. All right. We got unanimity. Uh, unanimity. Yeah. Because uh, it was part of like the, oh, if you want that debt ceiling raised, well, we're going to have to make cuts to, you know, Social Security and Medicare and all that. You got them to say, like, oh, cool. Not going to do that then. Great. Problem uh, so, solved. Yeah. <laughs> Though it's also the GOP. So, not really yeah. any sort of commitment there. Yeah. But they got well, he embarrassed on. them, and that's good enough for me. Yeah. yeah. This is in the public versus random interviews and such. Mm-hmm. On, like, national TV when, like, all the news channels are covering it. <laughs> yeah. Um, so he basically got them all to say it, like, he got them all basically to say what he wanted them on national television so everybody could see it. Which uh, gotta admit, that's a uh, that's a hell of a move on his part. But yeah, um, but uh, yeah. So moving on from there, uh, it is now time to go on to the proper show proper. And the first story of the night is the unfortunate tragic earthquake 
That happened in near the border between Turkey and Syria that has killed over 25,000 people. Um, and I'm going to be just quite frank with you guys. Uh, the Turkish government has basically just left these people die. Like, I mean, there's really yeah. nothing else to it. Um, yeah. And the numbers are atrocious. Yeah. And essentially all the places have essentially had to step in to clean up the mess. Um, and unfortunately, like, you know, the, the, the body count is going to get bigger because, you know, it's been a few days now and humans can only survive under rubble for a certain amount of time yeah. before they perish. Um, this is probably the, is this not the biggest example of hi, I'm nature, fuck you in our lifetimes? Uh, I wouldn't jinx it like that, dude. <laughs> but valid. Yeah, I mean, you all know what we're all facing down right now. So far. Yeah. Um, yeah it also, well, it also doesn't help that, remember, Syria has been in the middle of a civil war for the last few years. Yeah. And, yeah. And some yeah. of that's been spilling over into Turkey as well. Yeah. And it doesn't help that many of their buildings are not Up built code with any sort of yeah. you know, earthquake proofing in mind. Yeah. Though I imagine... Any future buildings probably will will be, but yeah. Fortunately, a lot of these look like they went down pretty easily. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, and uh, I would not be surprised if this ends up being the nail in the coffin for Erdogan's uh, tenure as leader of Turkey. We um, can only hope. Yeah, this might be the one that finally destroys it, um, and. He's probably not going to go down quietly. <laughs> um, Do they ever? No, no, they don't. They don't. Um, but, uh, yeah, so that's going to be an ongoing story. We'll uh, probably go back to this probably, if not next week, then soon. Because um, this uh, is going to have some very wide-ranging effects in that region. I can just tell you right now. Um, you can bet on it. <laughs> um this type of humanitarian disaster, like, uh, is the type of stuff that revolutions are made of. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Uh, also, um, next up, you remember, uh, last week there was that, what turned out to be a Chinese surveillance balloon that was shot down over the Atlantic after it had spent a couple days drifting across North America. It multiplied. Yeah. Well, they found another one that was, shot down over Alaska, and then later on today, they found another one that was shot down over Canada's Yukon Territory. Wasn't there one in the Deep South as well? I don't know. Uh, I haven't seen anything about that. I haven't that. seen anything about it. Um, but now, whether or not these are like all related, of course, is, you know, that's yeah. not confirmed at all. It could these don't also seem like they're balloons either. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, obviously... The internet is jumping to UFOs and aliens. Like no, no. Pretty sure we can. Pretty sure we've ruled that out at this point. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it seems like some sort of aircraft uh, or something. Yeah. Remote piloting things. It's not like we don't have those things. Yeah, could be a uh, drone or something like that. Um, yeah, it's the Yetis. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're claiming their territory. Mm-hmm. That'll be a movie soon enough. Oh yeah, 
but uh, yeah, so those two things happened. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, it's going to be fun to find out what that shit is. Um, and apparently uh, the one that was shot down over Canada was actually shot down by an American aircraft. Um, now, for anything freaks out, uh, Prime Minister Trudeau did give the go-ahead for it. So Yeah, I would imagine so, or else he'd be really pissed off. Oh, yes, he would probably be uh, screaming at President Biden over the phone right this minute if that if it were if the case were otherwise but yeah yeah of course they have like reports from the pilots that differ like one saying yeah. their their like gauges were acting weird and the other one was like no they just seem fine to me yeah so it's like just adding enough weirdness to the fuel the the conspiracy people yeah um my uh my theory some sort of like experimental aircraft, nothing like really far out there, but uh, something that's still being experimented on and just got, you know, got sighted when it you you know because now we're because of the balloon story, we're now all very primed to try and locate stuff like that. Um, but anyway, also next story, the ATF, that's the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms, has their first report on guns used in crimes in 20 years, so from yeah. 2003 to today. Yeah, this data stretches from 2017 to 2021. Oh. Um, during that period, local police reported a shrinking turnaround time for a legally purchased gun to be used in a crime. Mm-hmm. Uh, it also provides insight into the spike in ghost guns and conversion devices. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, here, let's see, the ATF found that 54% of traced crime guns were recovered by law enforcement more than three years after the purchase. Mm. Uh, those guns were legally purchased, but were later used in crimes. Mm. Um, yeah, crime guns may change hands a number of times after that first retail sale and some of those transactions, mm. maybe a theft or violate one or more regulations on firearm cr- commerce, mm. all that kind of stuff. Um, but also that more than 1 million guns were stolen from private citizens from 2017 to 2021. Mm. Uh, so that's another huge way that these guns get into uh, the hands of criminals through theft mm. in five years. Yeah. There are more than 1 million firearms stolen from private citizens mm. and reported to authorities. But that's the caveat here is federal law doesn't require individual gun owners to report the loss or theft of their firearm to police. Mm-hmm. And local laws and that can vary as well. Mm. Uh, so the number could be much higher. And that's kind of a, not a great thing to see. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the, uh, what else do they have here? The number of illegal machine gun conversion devices recovered by law enforcement agencies has jumped 570% uh, in five years. Mm-hmm. So that's not great either. Pistols represent a nearly 70% of the crime guns traced between 2017 and 2021. Mm. But yeah, there's a lot of data, but not as uh, extensive as you might want. Mm. But yeah, in 2021, 47.2% of law enforcement agencies were participating mm. in the ATF's E-Trace program, mm. which tracks firearms used in crimes. And yeah, and as of 2021, there are only 259 cities with National Integrated Ballistics Information Network sites. 
which analyzes ballistic information. These databases are where the ATF pulled information for this report. Mm. So not a full picture, but a pretty decent picture of how a lot of this stuff is happening here. Mm. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, that is uh, a thing. Hope somebody uh, takes that information seriously. But, uh, well, this is America, so. Anyway, uh, and now for some good news, although, let's be honest, it never should have happened to begin with. Uh, Florida high school athletes will no longer have to report their periods after emergency vote. Yeah, this was a a thing that popped up recently. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, having questions for female athletes for when your first menstrual period is. Mm-hmm. Uh, when your most recent menstrual period. Uh, let's see, how much time do you usually have from the start of one period to the start of another? Mm. How many periods have you had in the last year? It was the longest That's time shady between as fuck. periods in oh, the last yeah. year. Yeah, which is probably mostly about uh, getting uh, to the root of the trans question mm-hmm. of uh, finding out who is uh, trans or not and just banning them outright from there. Mm-hmm. Uh, via the Florida High School Athletic Association's Board of Directors voted 14 to 2 to remove questions about high school athletes' menstrual history from a required health form mm-hmm. for participation in high school athletics. Mm-hmm. And yeah, the that emergency meeting focused on the debate around menstrual cycle information, but in a less discussed change to the requirements for Florida athletes, the newly adopted form asked students to list their sex assigned at birth. Mm-hmm. The previous version asked only for sex. So, yeah, yeah a lot of shit going down there. Mm-hmm. Uh, they may end up uh, tied into like a Title IX violation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we'll see how that goes. Yeah. Um, so there is, it is good to see pushback against this stuff. But uh, yeah, so that unfortunately, that fortunately will not be going through. Um, Next up, do you guys remember Alien Gonzalez? Yes. Elian? Yeah. Uh, well, he is actually, obviously, he is very much an adult now. And he is actually up for election to become a member of Cuba's parliament. Um, yeah. So, for those who don't know, Cuba is, of course, a communist state, meaning it is a one-party state. Um but technically, you do not have to be a member of the Communist Party to actually run for elections, though you do still have to be vetted by them. Um, but he is, uh, yeah, he, he is fixing to uh, run for election. Yeah. Yeah. He is an industrial engineer right now. Yep. As uh, one of 470 municipal leaders who have been nominated to serve in the country's National Assembly. Mm-hmm. Uh, elections have not taken place yet, uh, happening March 26th. His nomination is expected to go through. Mm-hmm. And yeah, uh, there definitely is a bit of information in here that sort of suggests like he's definitely been uh, taken in with the uh, the Cuban uh, communism and all that. Yeah. As he says, like I believe that if today uh, she is not here with me, uh, why don't we... Or is it? Yeah, sometimes we young people think that if we stop being a socialist country and give way to capitalism, we'll become a developed country like the United States, France, Italy. But it must be understood that if Cuba stops being socialist, 
it won't be like the U.S. It would be a colony. It would be Haiti, a poor country, a lot poorer than it is now, and everything that has been achieved will be lost. Sure that we could have accomplished more, but we can never forget the most important part, most important history, historic fact. We have been a country besieged by a blockade. Yeah. Uh, which is pretty true. Yeah. Like well, switching. It's an, it's an switching embargo would be, blockades. Yeah. Yeah. And switching would be a thing that would take a long time to really mm-hmm. get to a good place if they ever yeah. do. Being a small yeah. country like that. Mm-hmm. So Plus uh, he talks he, about how he's like happy he got returned back to Cuba. And all that yeah. Stuff. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. Um, it helps that, you know, Fidel decided to sort of sort of semi-adopt him <laughs> yeah. um, and uh, kept in touch with Alien's family all through his, through his growing up, up until Fidel died a few years ago. Um, so yeah, Probably gave him favors, his family favors. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah. Now we're uh, going off to the uh, entertainment portion of the show. Um, with the story there, starting off being uh, LeBron James has broken the NBA's career scoring record. Yeah, uh, a record that people thought would never get broken. Yeah, because it's just a ridiculous sort of stat to have. Yeah, uh, as he was at thirty-eight thousand three hundred eighty-seven mm-hmm. uh, points, and for LeBron James to pass this, he uh, has played twenty seasons. Mm-hmm. Essentially, almost very few, you know. Breaks from that for injury, mm-hmm. uh, and has played very consistently mm-hmm. uh, for many years. So it's kind of a, a true sign of his consistency and sort of the way he pays attention to his body mm-hmm. uh, with that stuff. So yeah, great for him. Mm-hmm. Uh, definitely adds to the the constant discussion of who the the best player ever is in NBA history Mm. uh, between him and Michael Jordan. So Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. And now we're on to uh, the other parts of entertainment. Uh, The Grammys happened recently. Um, And uh, other than the fact people, you know, the usual suspects losing their absolute shit because Sam Smith had his, you know, showing his single Unholy with the whole stage show and everything. Um, but uh, some other stuff happened as well, like uh, Viola Davis now has an EGOT now because she won a Grammy. Yeah, she won a Grammy for uh, Best Audiobook, Narration yeah. and Storytelling, recording for her memoir, Finding Me. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's cool for her. She uh, yeah, said here, I wrote this book to honor the six-year-old uh, Viola. Mm-hmm. Uh, to honor her life, her joy, her trauma, her everything. It's been such a journey. I just got EGOT. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you saw the the weirdness of the, the Sam Smith thing where people are like, oh, that's why the, the earthquake happened. Because uh, he's brought Satan back. Uh, I was like, no. No. There's these things are called we re- Are we really going to have to go through this shit all over again? Oh, yeah. It's uh, the little Nas sex thing again. Yeah, it's like Wow, just can't come up with anything new, can we? Maybe Sam Smith will put uh, blood in something, yeah, and really get that going. Yeah. But, uh, and now, uh, moving on to uh, 
all the streaming and trailers and stuff. Discovery Plus will remain a separate service after combining with HBO Max. Yeah, so you'll be able to just get that if you want. So they can kill they can kill two services instead of one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I think they I don't know, there must be a decent enough audience for that to keep that is its own thing. But maybe they're going to still offer the the combined service mm. uh for that whenever that is. They've been talking about that for a while, but mm. haven't given much in the way of details of when uh and all that. Uh but I believe it's supposed to have some cheaper ad free or cheaper ad tiers and maybe enough free with ads tier. Mm. Uh but who knows? Uh yeah. they have been putting some of the shows they've taken down from HBO Max on like freebie and some of those kind of services. Yeah. Uh which are free with ads. Mm. Uh, freebie is formerly IMDB TV. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is Amazon owned. Hmm. Yeah. Um, and uh, next up, Amazon ordered an animated comic witches, which by the way, if you've never read it, it's pretty unsettling. <laughs> um, yeah. It essentially, this is my first time hearing about it. It's essentially a comic that takes sort of the concept of like, you know, uh, which scares and like gives them a sort of how to explain it. Um, that yeah, basically it's 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 the creatures that sort of help give birth to the concept of the witch scare, uh, specifically in New England. Um, it's uh, it's 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 good reading, but it's unsettling. <laughs> yeah, and be clear, it's witches with a Y. Yeah. And it's not the, the double V witches like the the one movie. Yeah. Yeah. So uh that's happening. Um and I love the fact that it's animated, so I love that, you know, animation is becoming a thing that for more adults and stuff, yeah. Um it's a long time coming, to be honest. But um also, speaking of Amazon, they're also working on a Spider-Man Noir live-action series. Yeah. It's not going to be neat. Yeah. Seeing it's still early, but mm-hmm. they're definitely working on it. Oh, yeah. Can't wait to see it. Um, probably won't have Nick Cage in it, but... Probably we'll not, but uh, yeah. And uh, next up, we got an official trailer for Netflix's Agent Elvis. Yeah, this is a neat little animated show that they are doing. Mm -hmm. uh, Because, like, one of the the weird things about Elvis is that he wanted to be, like, a a federal agent at one point. Yep. Uh, This is like, well, what if if that was a whole thing? And also was very absurd. this is uh, like one bit in there. He's like, well, is this pen like a, a, a special pen or something? Mm-hmm. Like throws it into a dude and he's like, nope, just a pen. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, there's no date for this yet. It starts in March. Mm. Uh, and yeah, it has Matthew McConaughey as Elvis. So it's an interesting yeah. choice there. Yeah. Uh, he's doing like secret agent shit. Mm-hmm. So it looks pretty neat. Yeah. Uh, we also got an official trailer for Air, which is uh the next uh 
Ben Affleck movie that he also directed. Yeah, this is based on uh, the story of how you know the the little shoe company Nike mm-hmm. uh, signs Michael Jordan mm-hmm. to uh, their shoe line uh, for the Air Jordan series, and then you know brings them to prominence as one of the biggest shoemakers in the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it has a a stacked cast too because it has. Mm-hmm. Uh, ben Affleck, Matt Damon. Uh, who else is in this? There's Viola Davis is playing his mom. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, Marlon Wayans. Uh, who else? Chris Tucker. A uh, bunch of people in this. So, yeah, it looks pretty neat. Mm-hmm. Uh, be in theaters April fifth. Mm-hmm. And. Uh... Um, finally, last but not least, we got an official trailer for Fast X, which is the 10th film in the Fast and Furious series. Yeah. Uh, second to last in the the series. They're going to do one mm-hmm. more, I guess. Uh, as they are positioning this almost like it's Endgame mm-hmm. or something like that, where like, uh, somebody's going to die. Yeah. That's like, okay, I don't know what that means. Mm. Uh, but yeah, they have uh, pretty much everybody returning. Uh, also with Jason Momoa as the big bad guy here. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's going to be interesting to see. Oh, yeah. Uh, how he fits in. Yep. And yeah. yeah. Let's actual racing in this, it seems. Or at least mm-hmm. one scene of yeah. that versus just a bunch of vehicle stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, so that's going to bring it to an end today. I mean, tonight, I do believe we've got ourselves a show. So with that out of the way, uh, it is, we should uh, remind all of our listeners, if you want a question, comment, something you want us to read here, you can get in contact with us at letsweekenders at gmail.com. That's letsweekenders at gmail.com. we got a link for you in the show notes. Also, on top of Apple Podcasts, you can catch our little bit of unscripted shenanigans at TuneIn, Google Play, RSS, or archive.org. Uh, or pretty much any kind of podcast aggregator you can think of. Um, but, uh, yeah, so that's going to do it for this week. Uh, we're going to go ahead and wrap it up here. Join us next week for more craziness and more insanity and more of me rambling because I'm trying to <laughs> fill out the silence because the silence terrifies me. Um, and, uh, if you liked what you heard, please share it with your friends, your family, or your mortal enemies who may not like you, but they may end up liking us. You know, whatever happens like that is you no know, skin off our nose. I mean, we're not in the splash zone, so we don't give a shit. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, so join us all next week, and uh, hopefully, I will not rant terribly. But I wouldn't, you know, bet any money on it. Good night, everybody. <laughs>